give, put, set, add, apply, appoint, ascribe, assign, bestow, bring, bring forth, cast, cause, charge, come, commit, consider, count, cry, deliver up, direct, distribute, do, fasten, frame, get, give forth, give over, give up, grant, hang, hang up, have, lay up, lend, let, let out, lie, lift up, make, occupy, offer, ordain, pay, perform, place, pour, print, pull, put forth, render, restore, send out, send forth, shoo, anyone ever shooed their kids away? Shoo, get out of here. Shoot forth, sing, strike, submit, suffer, take, thrust, trade, turn, utter, weep, and yield. <laughs> Could you just see yourself? Like printing out that paper that's due, counting up the bills for the month, <laughs> sending out the kids into the backyard because you can't take another second of noise. Like I just, I, I just feel like every word kind of evokes like a picture of ways that we just operate as women day to day. It's all work. It's all this work that she's doing with willing hands or eager hands. And if we go back to the beginning of our story as people, um, God made this perfect, incredible world and everything was right. Everything was right in the world. And there was no sin and no shame and no tears. And we, we were naked and we liked it. <laughs> And we walked with God and saw him and talked with him and just this perfect place and relationship. And um, he gave, you know, Adam and Eve work that they did. They stewarded the gift he had given them and it was all right and well. And you guys know the story then the snake, and then the apple, and then what if God's holding out on me? And then I want to have what God has. And then sin breaks into the world and relationship breaks with God and our relationship with everything else breaks as well, <laughs> including work. And so now we live in this broken world and Oftentimes, we work without God. And when we work without God, we are working for our worth. We're working for identity. We're working for belonging. We're working for success. We're working for approval. We're working for fulfillment. We're working for satisfaction. And our work is driven and it's desperate because we need to get these things out of our work. And because of this, we can end up 
discouraged and disillusioned. We can end up bitter and despising the work that we have to do in life. Or we can respond in the opposite way and we can become um, very driven and throw ourselves into work and work ourselves to the bone, trying with all of our might to get these things from work. Then Jesus shows up. And he offered us a way out of working that way. And he came in pronouncing this kingdom, this kingdom thing. What's this kingdom thing? And offering us an opportunity to step into, even while we're still on the earth, another kingdom where things are done a different way. And in the world, in all the systems of the world, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, Greatness equals how many people are serving you. And you know, that might sound extreme, but it happens just in subtle ways, right? I mean, it can look like being successful enough to make enough money to be able to hire out all the things I don't want to do. (laughs) And now I'm feeling really good about myself because look at me. In Matthew 20, Jesus called, <clears throat> called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can we just take a second right now to let that sort of steep into our hearts? Again, the God we talked about last night, the really, really big one, (laughs) the one who has holds all the power, all the power in his hands, the one who could like speak and see anything come into existence came to the world that he made for little tiny ant people. (laughs) And the position that he took was one of a servant. You'll never, ever find another king like this. You'll never find another servant king. You could search the whole world. He came not to be served, which he should be, but to serve. He says, want to be great? Get low. Want to be first? It's like he, he knows even that we are made with this longing for greatness and significance. He knows that. He's not shaming us for that. He's like, I know you want this because I made you to want it. You want to know how to get it? Go last. What? (laughs) That is not what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. I thought you were going to say, run hard and over as many people as possible to get to where you want to (laughs) be. You want to be great? Lay down. You want to be great? Go low. 
You want to be great? Let everyone else go in front of you. <laughs> so he invited us into a different way of work. He invited us into working with God. And when we work with God, we work from this place where the worth and identity and belonging has already been taken care of. It is in the bag, girls. We don't ever have to question it. It's set and fixed. Jesus did everything necessary to settle every wrestle in our soul ever. So working with God means I have worth and I know who I am because God's told me and I belong to the most important person in this universe. So I'm not working for that. I'm working from that. I'm working from already having been proven by Jesus' record. I'm working from already knowing that I'm great because someone really important did something very significant for me. <laughs> I'm already working from a place of being fulfilled and satisfied in God. And that changes the way that we work. We're not trying to wring our work out to give us what we need from it, you know? I thought, I want to I wanna like coin this phrase. <laughs> I wrote down, she knows she's rubies so she can get down and mop the floor. Like, she knows she's rubies. I like that. Do you guys like that? Do you know your rubies? And, and I feel like you can feel that from this woman's life. There is like, there's a lot of menial like jobs talking about her doing, but you can just feel the sense of worth. There is such a dignity about this woman. She knows she's rubies. <laughs> she knows she's rubies. So she's like, well, yeah, I could clean that toilet. I could clean that floor. You want something to eat? I'll make it for you. She knows she's rubies. <laughs> I am not valuable because of what I do or who I do it with. I'm valuable because God made me, and then when I messed it all up, he saved me. <laughs> what a relief. I'm not valuable because I'm successful or gifted or talented or married or I'm not, I'm not valuable because my husband treats me well or my kids are doing all right or because I'm pretty or because my body looks good. I'm not talking about myself right now. These are generalities. <laughs> I'm not valuable because I'm killing it at work or because I got that promotion or because I have a lot of cool stuff. So, we get to. Only women in Christ, this word that came this morning, hidden in Christ. Only women hidden in Christ get to do this. 
We get to work from a place of value, not for a place of value. We get to work from a place of significance, not for significance. Women who are working for value and for significance are exhausted and sad and beaten down. Not so with you. That's not what God's invited you into. He's given us a way out of that. Let's take it. So I can work with willing hands and a willing heart because I'm not what I do. I can do it happy. I can do it content. I can do it satisfied, no matter how menial or ordinary (laughs) or lame. I don't know. No matter how demeaning the work may seem, because I'm rubies. I love that line. I'm going to use it forever. We can do any work. The work we do, the kind of work we do actually doesn't matter at all. Because Jesus is always, he's already told us that the only thing that lasts and doesn't burn up at the end is love. So any kind of work, any kind of work, well, isn't there some work that's better than other kind of work? Isn't ministry more important than, you know, normal kind of work? I don't know, is it? When I say the Lord's work, what do you think of? Do you think of what I'm doing right now? Do you think about what Lissy and Anna were doing a minute ago? What about what you do? Could what you do be the Lord's work? In the third century, the Bishop of Caesarea, who was a prolific writer and early church historian, argued that there are two ways of life. One is the perfect life, and the other is the permitted life. The perfect life is contemplative and limited to monks and nuns and priests. The permitted life is mundane and secular and is reserved for the rest of us soldiers, farmers, businessmen, and those of us who just have jobs. This thinking went largely unchallenged for over a thousand years until Martin Luther led a reformation and challenged this idea, insisting that the Bible taught a priesthood of all believers. Whoa, what is that? 1 Peter 2.9, but you, you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Not only are you a people, you're the people of God. What? Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And Martin Luther contended that all believers can pray, that everybody gets heard by God, that 
all believers can handle holy things, <laughs> that all believers are spiritually equal in Christ, that all believers are priests, able to offer sacrifices to God, and that all believers are to be a witness of the gospel. He didn't minimize callings to church work and pastors, but lifted up callings to equally high dignity and significance before God. Everybody gets to do the Lord's work wherever they are. He says, the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured by God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fasting and other works of a monk or a priest because the monk or priest lacks faith. William Tyndall says, the maid, her, who, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. <laughs> the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little verses on the shoes or on the bottom of the cups, but by making good shoes or good burgers because God is interested in good craftsmanship. If our desire is to please God, pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, and preaching the word is all one. Do it to the glory of God. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ doing the Lord's work? in your home, at your workplace, at your kid's school, at your school. If it's true, then whatever season you find yourself in, whatever job you find yourself doing, whether single, married, momming, careering, even in inactive seasons of sickness, or disability, you can do the Lord's work. What's the Lord's work look like for you? Where God, where's God put you? What's he calling you to do? What's Jesus asked you to do? Who's he asking you to do it for? Ministry in the everyday mundane. Doing it like we worship. Doing it with the whole of our hearts, giving ourselves to it. Colossians 3.22 says, don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. Have you ever cleaned a toilet enthusiastically? <laughs> I haven't. But it sounds like it'd be more fun. as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you'll receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. No one sees me. <laughs> no one notices. There's no reward from this. That's not what this is saying. It's saying someone important is seeing you 
and someone important's giving you a really incredible reward. So do it enth enthusiastically from your heart. Do it with your heart because you serve the Lord Christ. No small task. Nothing's now insignificant. It all counts. It's all significant. How did Jesus show us the full extent of his love? Jesus showed us the full extent of his love by dying for us on the cross. Nope, that's not what it says. Jesus showed us the full extent of his love by raising the dead. Nope. It says Jesus showed us the full extent of his love by getting down on the ground and washing the dirty feet of his friends. Really, Lord? Really? That's the thing you're choosing to say was the display of the full extent of your love? Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. God did that. We don't like to be nothing. <laughs> we don't like to make ourselves nothing. We like to make ourselves something at least something, right? Rather, he who was everything made himself nothing. Ah. Oh. I think this is important. I think this is spiritual warfare. I think this is part of our powerful testimony as the bride of Christ. That we recognize that we have been put on this planet, not to be served and become something, but to serve and become nothing by giving our lives away, just like Jesus did, modeling our life after him. And with this woman, we see her in all the spheres of her life being a servant of others. She's making money, but not so she can be a consumer of it. She's working so she can bless her family, so she can bless her community, so she can bless the needy and the poor, so that she can advance the mission of God. She's discipling. She's being generous with her time, her resources, her talents, her gifts, her mouth. She's opening up her mouth in kindness and wisdom's flowing from it to others as a gift. She, she's just living extravagantly generously towards everyone around her. Even the part where it says like, you know, she goes to like the marketplace where she makes things that she sells and she's like made sashes for like the other people who sell things. Like she's just super generous and serving of others and giving. And it's beautiful. I was thinking about this this morning. I, I wrote this talk when um, I was still, you know, I spent, um, I guess, 
I don't know, maybe almost 12 years. Um, home with my kids, primarily raising kids. Before I had kids, um, I had a photography business that took off and was really successful and I was getting a lot of attention and I had photos published in Martha Stewart Wedding and I was becoming something, guys. <laughs> and then I spent a decade of my life wiping butts and wiping noses and cleaning toilets and doing the menial, mundane, non-sexy, non-flashy, insignificant stuff of life. And there was like a real death for me because a lot of this lived in me. A lot of this be something, a lot of this work for worth, belonging, success, identity, value, obviously lived in my heart because when all of that went away and the only option for me <laughs> was to do really hard work all day long, not seen by anyone, it was like, wow, look at all this stuff coming out of my heart. <laughs> it's not pretty. <sighs> and now, today, my kids are school-aged and I am not, you know, I think you can think, oh, selfishly, like once this season of raising young kids is over and they're all in school, then I'm going to get back to work. And I'm going to make something of myself again. And just through different circumstances, um, God I got a call a year ago from the principal of this private school in town. A week before school started, she didn't know us, but she had heard about us through a friend. And she offered me a volunteer position at this school in exchange for my girls going there. And it's a, it's a private Christian school. It's Anglican. It's very old school and traditional. There's chapel four mornings a week, but... I literally think maybe 1% of the population of the school is actually following God. It's very secular, and it's very diverse. And we prayed and felt like we were supposed to take it. And we went, and we did it, and I've been there now a little over a year. And I'm a no one at this school. In fact, I'm... I've told the principal, there's now a new principal. I've told him I'm a fraud. I don't belong here. You know, I, we could never, we couldn't afford to send one of our children to this school. We struggle, I have to work side jobs to afford the field trips at this school. Um, and I'm not, I'm not anyone there. I have no role or position. No one knows that I'm a pastor's wife. Like, and it has been hilarious because if, if, if someone had told me any time in the last 15 years that I would work at a school, I would have laughed in their face. <laughs> 
never, ever, ever thought I would work at a school. I didn't even finish college. I am not... I get in these staff meetings and people are talking about academic things and I'm just like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> and then there's other funny things where... Um, you know, for, for years and years, I just made a lot of excuses and said a lot of no's towards certain things. Like, for a lot of years, it was, well, I have one kid at school, but I have four at home, so I can't volunteer at the school. You know, we were at a charter for a, a long time that required certain volunteer hours, and I struggled to even pull that off. It's like, I'm going to have to pay for childcare to watch my other kids so I can go volunteer at this school. And meanwhile, we lead an organization larger than the size of this school over here where they really need me to volunteer. So if I'm going to volunteer, I'm going to go do, you know? And it was just like, no, I won't ever be involved at the school. I don't want to do that. month ago, principal emails me and asks me to be a room mom for one of my daughter's classes. And 10 years ago, I made an inner vow that I will <laughs> never be a room mom, ever. That is not who I am. I'm good at a lot of things. That's not one of them. And then I got to this new school, this new private school, and saw some of the class parties, you guys, it is like Pinterest on crack. <laughs> Literally, at the Halloween party last week, there were juice boxes that had been mummified. So even more so, that vow, I just reaffirmed my vows. Uh, here I will definitely never be a room mom. And then I get this little email from the principal. Will you please be a room mom? Everyone else in this grade has done it many times and they're all burned out. And I told him, I have made an inner vow that I will never do that. But I will think about it because you're asking me. I said yes. And I'm doing these things I never thought I would ever do. And I'm saying yes to the things I feel like the Lord is inviting me into. And I'm working a job where I do not get paid. <laughs> and God is moving on that campus. I can't even describe to you guys what is happening relationally for me with people. People who have everything, right? This school, the demographic of this school is very rich, very successful. These people have everything, right? And they are desperate inside, desperate. So I am having crazy conversations, you guys, I spent this decade home raising young kids, pastoring a church. I hardly ever came in contact with non-Christians. You know, I was just in my house or in the church, you know? And I started to believe like, I'm really bad at evangelism. Cause it was like, the only way for this to happen is for me to like call and try to arrange a lunch or a coffee with 
one of my old friends who's not walking with God and I have to pay for childcare again, all these obstacles. Now I've just said yes in obedience and walked into these places where I feel like God's inviting me that feels so weird. Like I just can't, I still can't get over that I'm working at a school and that I'm a room mom. (laughs) And just life on life with people who look at you and see the light of God in your face and they're like, what is that? I need that. And it just happens. People are asking me questions, like the principal saying, I'm, all the things in my life I thought I wanted are happening, and I am empty. This woman got in a car accident and walked into the school office, and she was trembling, and I just held her for a little while. She came up to me five days later and was like, you will never know what that hug meant to me. What? Do you go without that? Like, that's just, you just hug people. And when they're trembling from a car wreck, you hold them for a long time. Like, that's just what you do. Like, why did that feel so significant to you? Like, just people like going without real relationships, authenticity, understanding they're loved, like, I have this job. I make zero dollars. It's not sexy. No one knows who I am. Could I be making more money? Could I be doing more significant things? Or, you know, could I be building a name for myself? Could I be gaining more followers? Maybe. This has been like the funnest three months of my life. I can't believe what God is doing. And I'm like, people are getting saved. Like people are turning their hearts to God. It's amazing. So who knows? If you had told me when I wrote this talk (laughs) that I would be doing this, it's just so funny. And it's just so rewarding to lay down our lives and serve for love with God. There's nothing better than that. And I think sometimes we have a hard time just accepting the season that we're in, letting old seasons come to an end, entering into new seasons and getting filled again with that vision of what God wants to do in that season. You know, maybe you've walked through seasons of life that felt more significant than the one you're in right now. Is that true though? No. We're never done until the, the day that we see him face to face. So it doesn't matter what season we're in or what work we find ourselves doing. And I just, I, I, I feel like this exudes from the life of this woman. This sense of dignity and worth, like, She could walk into any sphere. She could do any task. She could be wheeling and dealing. You know, she could be getting up early to care for her servants. 
doesn't matter what she's doing. She knows who she is. She knows her worth. She knows where the reward's coming from. And ultimately, right, like he himself, his presence, his loving relationship with us is the reward. So in a world that prizes exceptionalism, in a world where we are literally bombarded all day long, we are fed by our feeds all day long with exceptional everything, exceptional faces, exceptional bodies, exceptional homes, exceptional children, exceptional marriages, exceptional careers, exceptional ministries, exceptional over the night, you know, explosions of success in businesses or churches or whatever realm or sphere you follow, you're going to find it. There's all the exceptional, exceptional things And we can so easily be lured into believing that that is it, and we don't have that. Can we be a family of women that doesn't buy into that lie and that celebrates the ordinary, that celebrates the work of love, in every place, sphere, form, function that champions one another on into doing the work of love into whatever season, place, and people God's given us? Can we be content, delighting in what is not just maybe grieving what has been or hoping for what will be, but delighting in what is. Nothan today. God, where do you want me to put my hands today? What do you want me to do with my hands today? Where do you want me to put my mouth today? What do you want me to do with my mouth today? And again, just like this beautiful poem is not a day in the life of or a week in the life of, it's over the course of a life. Much of what we do in the ordinary ways of sowing love is a long haul work. It's not a microwave work. It's not a flash in the pan work. It is a long obedience in the same direction. And it's really beautiful. And we need to like be continually encouraging one another in that work. I think that this poem is a counting the fruit poem. I think that this poem is putting on display the way that God looks at a life and counts the fruit. And then there was that, and then that, And then there was that. And then look at that fruit. Ooh, look at that fruit. That fruit's cool. He counts it. I had this funny epiphany. I was reading Matthew 25 one day in my season of wiping butts and noses. And and I read the part about where Jesus says, like, 
Anytime you do these things for the least of these, you do them for me. And they say, when did I do this? Or when did I do that? When did I feed the hungry? When did I clothe the naked? Anytime you have done that for the least of these, anyone else, you've done it unto me. And I, I, I think when you're in that season with young kids, you can often feel like I'm not feeding any hungry. I'm not clothing any needy. You know, I'm not doing anything outside of keeping the house from burning down and surviving the day. And if I got a shower, that feels like, look what I did. <laughs> and I read that passage and I, I was like, oh, I feed the hungry every day. I clothe the naked every day, multiple times a day. Where did your clothes go? Put your clothes back on. And, and it was like this just delightful, like, it counts. Not only does it count, it double counts. Because I'm doing it for my kids, which counts. It would show up on the fruit list God was making. But also, Jesus is telling me right here that it's like I've also done it to him. So it double counts. I fed my kids today and I fed Jesus. I clothed my kids today and I clothed Jesus. Isn't that so fun? Two for the price of one. So he doesn't just count our fruit. He double counts our fruit because he's so generous. I'm just going to close with reading the message version of this passage we've been looking at because I love it. First thing in the morning, she dresses for work. What's that look like? I actually have to do this now. Like physically, most days of the week, I have to dress for work, which I have not done for the last 12 years. <laughs> and do you know that it's really good? Like I... I've just, I've been thinking about this this week. Like there's just something different about the way I approach my day when I've gotten myself ready at 6.30 and the day's in front of me. And I, I've really been thinking, this is just gonna be a little, I'm just putting it out there for any young moms in this room. I'm like, I should have done this all along. There's just something about like never getting ready. <laughs> just... I mean, it's comfortable, but I just don't think you ever look at yourself in the mirror and think, I'm going to get stuff done today, you know? <laughs> anyway, first thing in the morning, she dresses for work. Maybe, yes, she's physically dressing for work, but I think also, yes, she's spiritually dressing for work, which looks like bathing ourselves in these truths over and over again. Bathing ourselves in these truths over and over again. Dressing for work. She rolls up her sleeves, eager to get started. She senses the worth of her work. That's the title of this talk.
the worth of her work. I want you to sense the worth of your work. And she's in no hurry to call it quits for the day. There's a work God's called you to and equipped you for. He's brought the bar down really low, which is wonderful by telling us that love is all that's needed. Love in action in the places he's put us. It doesn't have to look like someone else's life. It doesn't have to get to a certain point by a certain time. It doesn't have to hit a certain number. He wants to set us free to be who we are, who he's made us to be, knowing that we are valuable, knowing I'm rubies. And my life doesn't look like my life doesn't look like that woman over there. My, mom, my life doesn't look like that mom next door. My life doesn't look like that woman in the cubicle next to me. But I'm rubies and I can do with all of my heart the thing God's called me to, which is lay down my life in love like he did for the people and places he's put me in today. Raise your hand if you can do that. I mean, that includes everyone. No one's excluded from that. And it is all significant and it's all valuable and it all counts. It all counts. Father, thank you for these women. They're rubies. They're rubies. Thank you that you've made a way for us to work with you from a place of knowing we're your rubies. That you've already set our value and our worth. You've already called us to significance and greatness. And then you've made the on-ramp into that so simple and easy. We get to love with you. We get to lay down our lives with you in varying ways, in varying seasons to the places and people where you've put us. Lord, would you set our work on fire? Not wringing out our work with two hands, trying to get something that we need from it. We already have everything that we need in you. Would you set our work on fire for your glory as a testimony of all that you have done for us and in us and are doing through us. Lord, send revival. Send revival. Send the power of your spirit. Send your wisdom and love and grace into every sphere represented in this room into every organization represented in this room, into every school represented in this room, into every family represented in this room, into every relationship represented in this room. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.